Our scripture this morning comes from John. Not a surprise to anybody, I hope. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. If it's your first Sunday, we've been journeying through John during Lent this year. I'll be reading from the message, which is a translation that Eugene Peterson did. Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, causing him to be born blind? And Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When night falls, the workday is over. For as long as I'm in the world, there's plenty of light. I am the world's light. He said this, and then he spit in the dust, made a clay paste with saliva, and rubbed the paste in the blind man's eyes. And then he said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. The man went and washed and saw. Soon the town was buzzing. His relatives and those who year after year had seen him as a blind man begging were saying, why isn't this, why isn't this the man we knew who sat here and begged? And others said, it's him all right. But others objected. It's not the same man at all. It just looks like him. He said, it's me, the very one. They said, how did your eyes get opened? A man named Jesus made a paste and rubbed it on my eyes and told me, go and wash in Siloam. And I did. And when I washed, I saw. So where is he? I don't know. They marched the man to the religious leaders. This day, Jesus made the paste and healed his blindness. It was the Sabbath. The religious leaders grilled him again on how he came to see, and he said, he put clay paste on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. And some of the religious leaders said, obviously this man can't be from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others countered. How can a bad man do miraculous, God-revealing things like this? There was a split in their ranks. So they came back to the blind man. You're the expert. He opened your eyes. What do you say about him? He said, he's a prophet. The religious leaders didn't believe it. Didn't believe the man was blind to begin with. So they called the parents of the man, now bright-eyed with sight. They asked them, is this your son? the one you say was born blind? So how is it that he now sees? His parents said, we know he is our son and we know he was born blind, but we don't know how he came to see. I haven't a clue who opened his eyes. Why don't you ask him? He's a grown man and can speak for himself. His parents were talking like this because they were intimidated by the religious leaders who had already decided that anyone who took a stand in this about who was the Messiah would be kicked out of the meeting place. That's why his parents said, ask him, he's a grown man. Also good parenting there. <laughs> they called the man back a second time, the man who'd born been born blind and told him, give credit to God. We know this man is an imposter. He replied, I know nothing about it one way or the other, but I know one thing for sure. I was blind, I now see. They said, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I've told you over and over and you haven't listened. Why do you want to hear it again? Are you so eager to become his disciples? 
With that, they jumped all over him. You might be a disciple of that man, but we're disciples of Moses. We know for sure that God spoke to Moses, but we have no idea where this man even comes from. The man replied, this is amazing. You claim to know nothing about him, but the fact is he opened my eyes. It's well known that God isn't at the beck and call of sinners. But listen carefully to anyone who lives in reverence and does God's will. That someone opened the eyes of a man born blind has never been heard of ever. If this man didn't come from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. And they said, you're nothing but dirt. How dare you take this tone with us? And then they threw him out in the street. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and went and found him. He asked him, do you believe that I'm the son of man? And the man said, point him out to me, sir, so that I can believe in him. Jesus said, you're looking right at him. Don't you recognize my voice? The man said, I believe and worshiped him. Jesus then said, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear so that those who have never seen will see. And those who have made great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. Some religious leaders overheard him and said, does that mean you're calling us blind? Jesus said, if you were really blind, you would be blameless. But since you claim to see everything so well, you're accountable for every fault and failure. These are our sacred stories. The author of the Gospel of John loves a metaphor, and he's not afraid to push a metaphor as far as it can go and then to keep pushing, playing with reversals and implications. In today's story, a man blind from birth has excellent vision and insight, and sighted religious leaders are blind fools. Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, causing him to be born blind? Before the gospel writer can get very far into the story, sin comes up. Why do we associate sin, failure with suffering? And why do we associate reward with positive, happy things in life? Are you a better person? Is that why your life looks perfect on Facebook? Are you really messing up lately and that's why things seem to be falling apart? Consciously or not, we've all formed ideas about God, what God looks like, what God can and cannot do. These ideas often go unchecked until we're confronted with the reality of suffering and pain, confronted with evil, and then we begin to question our understandings of God. Philosophers and theologians refer to this as the problem of suffering, the problem of evil, the problem of theodicy. Theodicy, literally, the justifying of the ways of God. But why does suffering cause such existential questioning? Why is it so problematic? The reality of suffering is regularly presented as a theistic problem in that its existence seems in conflict with a benevolent and omnipotent God. As John Hick notes, the experience of suffering 
sets up an internal tension which disturbs faith such that it becomes the perpetual burden of doubt. Suffering has therefore been an issue among many philosophers and theologians, among people whose ideas of God do not square with their experience of suffering. In the face of these questions, in the face of why, why God, why me, why this, in the face of why, Religious leaders have composed many answers. Most of these answers involve shame and guilt, a god of test, whim, punishment. You've likely heard some of these. Why do bad things happen to good people? The people are not really good. They're bad and being punished. God's testing them like Job, but don't worry, God will not give them more than they can bear. The grieving widow diagnosed with cancer whose son is a heroin addict, she can take it. God wouldn't give her more than she can bear. This is God's will. Somehow this tragic thing will bring glory to God. We can only see one side of the tapestry. God sees things we can't see yet. You've heard these, yeah? Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? causing him to be born blind. Is this about sin? Is it about punishment? Oh, no. No, Jesus said. No, I tell you no. Stop. Stop with the guilt and the blame and the shame. Jesus does not promise us freedom from calamity, does not blame the victims of tragedy or the differently abled. Jesus compels us to open ourselves to the urgency of life's fragility. Who sent this man or his parents? And Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When night falls, the workday is over. For as long as I'm in the world, there's plenty of light. I'm the world's light. We are so often asking the wrong questions, aren't we? So often blind to the reality of God's love. Jesus has tried to make this point before. Consider, among others, Matthew 5, where Jesus says, You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of God. God makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. The religious professionals... of Jesus's day don't get it. They don't get it. They're in their fancy robes with their stoles and they don't get it. And frankly, many religious folks in our day are missing it too. And if we think we're not among them, that's when we're in trouble. It's almost too easy to fall into cause and effect thinking. Our culture makes us feel like healthy bodies and success mean that we're worthy of the good things that are coming to us. 
and our culture makes us feel embarrassed and ashamed and lonely when bad things happen. We seek reasons, and the reasons are almost all connected to how this suffering is our fault. When we learn that someone has lung cancer, our first question is not, how is he? Our first question is, did he smoke? We're focused on the why, when we need to focus on who, on the one who's suffering, on how we can be part of the love that surrounds us when we suffer. Kate Bowler notes in an interview with the Washington Post, I would love it if we had a culture that could embrace those of us that fall and give us a little more language and support to realize that we're not problems to be solved, we're just people to be loved. The physically seeing religious professionals want to manipulate the man who was born blind. But the man who was born blind has excellent vision, and they are metaphorically without sight. They try to manipulate his parents who just direct them back to their son. And their son points out that they seem to be challenged with sight and with hearing. Listen again. They called the man back a second time, the man who'd been born blind, and told him, give credit to God, we know that this man is an imposter. And he replied, I know nothing about it one way or another, but I know one thing for sure. I was blind, I now see. And they said, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I've told you over and over and you haven't listened. Why do you want to hear it again? Are you so eager to be his disciple? It's a great comeback. I was blind and now I see. Is he talking about physical sight or his spiritual insight? I hope we'll be careful to make sure that we're not making this story just about physical sight. And not just this story, but many of our litanies and readings and hymns today. In a few minutes, we'll sing, Be Thou My Vision. It's not a song about physical sight. Ableism suggests that physical sight and spiritual insight are connected, but my friends, the religious leaders can physically see just fine, and yet they're blind the spiritual insights right in front of their faces. Jesus said, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear, so that those who have never seen will see, and those who have made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. Some religious leaders overheard him and said, does that mean you're calling us blind? It reminds one of Nicodemus, or the woman at the well. Here we go again. Over and over, the religious elite throughout the Gospels miss the metaphor, miss the point. We're not talking about physical blindness. We're talking about how sometimes some of us assign cause and effect to this fragile, precarious life. And when we do, we miss the suffering people right in front of us. 
might say we don't see the forest for the trees. In the same way, sometimes we miss our own suffering. We get lost in fault and blame. Our joys, too, can be consumed in self-congratulation falls on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Instead of blame or blessing, shame or self-congratulations, what if we step into the realm of God? where not one of us is a problem to be solved, where each one of us is a person to be loved, a person already loved, already worthy of love and belonging. Not because of what we do right or wrong, but because of who we are, beloved children of God. The rain that falls in our lives, the positive and the negative, do not tell us our value to God. Our value is beyond measure. We are loved with an everlasting love. And I pray that whatever our physical sight might be, that we will open our metaphorical eye to this love. And we'll open our whole bodies to this love and rest in it. And then from a place of love, that we will be energetically at work, working while the sun shines, so that everyone can rest in the love of the woman. Amen.